And this was the complete story as he told it. He and Crispin Vinyl had gone out for a drink on New Year's Eve. They had started at my own local pub. No great coincidence since Henry, as I have said, lived close by, while Crispin lived somewhere over by Brighton. They had decided that the village of West Wittring was a little too quiet, and at Crispin's suggestion had headed into the great metropolis of Chichester, about fifteen minutes' drive away at legal speeds, ten at the sort of speed Henry would have driven in his vintage Jaguar. They had followed some back roads on the outskirts of town. Henry said he didn't know precisely where they had ended up, but, listening to him, I had a fairly good idea about which place they had visited. I remembered seeing the New Year School disco advertised in the local papers for some weeks beforehand. There aren't, in fact, that many nightclubs in Chichester. Pubs, yes. Tea rooms, certainly. Garden centres with cafes selling lemon drizzle cake, no problem. Cavernous spaces, throbbing with a pulsating beat, not so much. The establishment in question was, as Henry had implied, a club frequented mainly by students and young professionals intent on having a good time. I wasn't a regular there myself, you might say. I usually preferred Russell's Garden Centre, but I was pretty sure I knew where they'd been. Henry continued that he had found it hot and the music deafening. He had suggested leaving, but Crispin had said he liked the company of young people by which he seemed to mean young female people. So Henry had sat a great deal of the time in a corner drinking beer, while Crispin cruised the dance floor, occasionally draping himself around a girl thirty years his junior, with an ease that Henry had envied. I nodded sympathetically. It all fitted in with my recollection of Crispin in the bars of conference hotels. Nobody could deny that he knew how to have a good time if his wife wasn't watching him too closely. There was agreement, at least amongst crime writers, that Crispin resembled an ageing rock star, though there was a lack of consensus over which one, one of the Rolling Stones, perhaps, or Rod Stewart, or maybe even Howard Marks, if you wanted to widen the circle to friendly retired drug dealers. He undoubtedly had the sagging face, the leather jacket, the long, unnaturally black hair, and a lopsided grin that hung halfway between easy amiability and unabashed lechery. There was no questioning that he would have been more at home at the club than Henry or I. Sometime after eleven, Henry continued, Crispin had proposed going on by taxi to another place he knew, where the girls were possibly younger still and the music louder. Henry had politely declined and watched Crispin leave on his own. Then there was a complete blank, except for two things. First, he remembered the chimes of Big Ben sounding, and he had noticed he was in a crowded, low-ceilinged room with copious beams and much brass on the walls. He took this to be a country pub, and something more to his liking. Later, or perhaps a little before, he was outdoors, apparently in a wood. It was raining gently, and water was dripping from the branches above his head. He could see the spire of the church, and dark against the clouds, its weather vane, representing a ship in full sail. He had felt tired. He felt in need of a very strong drink, 
suggesting perhaps that the pub bit came later rather than earlier. Then he was in his own bed. It was still dark, his bedside clock read 0354, and a nameless dread was creeping over him. He went back to sleep until mid-morning, when he woke again, got up and made some coffee. Then he phoned Crispin Vinyl. There was no reply. The church, I said. The first time round you didn't mention the church. Didn't I? Maybe your memory of the evening is returning, I suggested. Is there any more that you can recall? I don't think so, he said. But this time he didn't reprimand me for repeating my question.